Welcome to the All Out Coach Podcast. My name is Tim Mikelashvili and I'm your host. The compass we use on this show has only two directions, progress and success. And every conversation is designed to be introspective as well as inspirational in order to stimulate us to stretch ourselves and lift others because success is determined by the impact we have on others and their recognition. Today, I have a special episode with a truly inspirational leader. His name is Larry Friedman, a senior commercial leader who has mastered the ability to inspire accountability in other people. He defines and he personifies success. He has led top tier performance and highly engaged sales teams that were able to maintain an outstanding culture. Larry Friedman has a wide array of accolades that probably require an entire room to hold. A CEO award that was the most prestigious award that he received at AstraZeneca. I had the fortune of working with Larry Friedman in my first permanent role at AstraZeneca. And even though we didn't interact on a daily basis because I worked in the medical function, all of my memories of Larry uh, are essentially images of him smiling him being surrounded by a large group of individuals, teams, celebrating, as well as also recognizing not only people on his teams, but also other cross-functional partners, such as medical as well. And it was during very sensitive and delicate times during my transitions throughout my career that I knew that I was able to approach Larry because he had that approachability that everybody sensed around him. And uh, when I asked for help, uh, he stretched out his hand in support that I will always remember. Finally, I'll quote somebody who worked with Larry Friedman, who said, I've never, ever witnessed an individual move an organization of greater than 500 people towards one direction faster than I did working with Larry. And so now we have the opportunity to hear from Larry himself, who will speak to us about his secrets of inspiring and discovering success. Larry, what a pleasure to be able to sit down and reflect on your career and your philosophy. Thank you so much. Welcome to All Our Coach. Well, Tim, it's great to see you again. And uh, thank you very much for the very flattering introduction. Um, really appreciate it and very proud of what we were able to cause together at AstraZeneca. So it's great to, to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. Larry, you've had quite an illustrious career at AstraZeneca. I'd like you to spend a little bit of time in sharing what were some of those key factors and elements that led to your growth personally, professionally, and rise in the ranks as well. Yeah, well, thank you, Tim. And I was at AstraZeneca for, for quite a while and, and had a, a wonderful career at AstraZeneca, starting off as a sales representative then becoming a, a first-line district sales manager. Then a, a second line at the time was called regional sales director or commercial business director. And then ultimately becoming the head of sales and the national executive business director. And if you ask me, I guess, the, the how to all of that, 
if I were to sort of lay out a blueprint for others to follow, I would say first, you have to perform in your current role. It, it has to start there. Take care of home first, as one of my former managers used to say. Then from there, I think it's really important to build relationships, but also outside of your sphere of influence, outside of your scope. Let others in the organization know who you are, um, how you contribute, how you can bring value to them, how you can bring value to the entire organization. So you just can't be good in your individual silo, but you have to think more broadly than that. I think the, the other piece that's really important is thinking strategically in the roles that you take. I think it's very important as you want to grow your career that you don't think necessarily on what the next role is going to be, but think two jobs ahead. So how will I get to that other job? What is the job before the job? And yeah. sometimes that can be a, a lateral move. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can even be a step back. And I think the fourth thing that I still find really, really important, and this relates to longevity in an organization and success in an organization, relates to gratitude. Always, always, always have gratitude. Never, no, no matter how long you've been in an organization, develop that sense of entitlement, which is an absolute career killer. Yeah. I've read some of your recent work, Larry, and your interviews as well that you've given. And uh, it seems like uh, you state that success is a particular sequence uh, that also requires some patience as well. Uh, so uh, can you share some of your leadership lessons in life and uh, what particular order should we focus on uh, if we listen to some of your experiences? Well, Tim, first, I, I think what you could be referring to is the success sequence. And I, I, I've covered that in, in an article, which is on my LinkedIn, as, as, well of a, as well as a podcast. But I'm going to cover it quickly sure. and then get to some five leadership lessons or, or philosophies that people can follow. The success sequence, very succinctly, is to first build relationships, build trusting, authentic relationships with your team. From there, create the culture the North Star that everyone on the team follows, the vision, the mission, and getting people in line. Um, when I say in line, I mean aligned, not getting them in line. Sure. Uh, the, third, the third piece really relates to enhancing their capabilities, helping them be better at their job. And then the fourth is the manifestation, which is driving results. But when you talk about the five leadership lessons or, or five philosophies, and I'll, I'll go through, through, through these, excuse me, relatively quickly, and then you can land on any one or two in particular that you want. The first one is when you try to hold someone accountable, they may be compliant, but when you inspire accountability, you'll gain their commitment. Big difference between holding accountable and inspiring accountability. The other piece is that vulnerability, authenticity, and humility will build trust and create followership. And sometimes when someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, I don't know is the best answer because it shows that you're human 
but that you're committed to finding out and getting them the information that they need to be more successful in their role. The next one is candid feedback without a relationship or without trust, right, can be perceived and often is perceived as criticism. Um, the fourth, really one of my favorite quotes is that one person with passion is better than just 40 merely interested. Right. And, and the last leadership lesson is, and this is probably my favorite, make every interaction count and leave people better than you found them. So that was a, that was a lot. So let's try and sort it out. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, these are some of the lessons that uh, I wish I had learned earlier in my career, uh, trying to be very focused on just being the best, best at what I did. You know, the, the relationship and the role of the relationships play such an important role, uh, I think. And, you know, building those relationships can pose a particular challenge for executives who manage second level leaders. Uh, how were you able to shorten that perceived distance? between an executive such as yourself and those frontline employees, district sales managers, Larry? Yeah, I, I felt that visibility was really key and it was really critical to building that trust, building that followership, being consistent in your interactions and being authentic in your interactions. So very specifically, one of the things that I really believed in, in doing at all levels of the organization was really building relationships throughout all levels, but specifically two levels deep or two levels into the organization. So as I mentioned, I had second line leaders reporting into me, commercial business directors, but the district sales managers, and there were 54 of them, they were on the front lines. And I made it a point to have a fairly consistent interface with all of them, have one-on-one -on -one conversations, visit them in their markets. Um, Zoom allowed me to actively participate on their team conference calls. So I did that with a consistency. So they got to know me and I got to know them. And that helped accelerate the trust. And when I had trust in the first line or district sales managers, it helped building trust with their representatives. And I often did a lot of forums with the representatives as well. I would meet with the senior level representatives uh, via teleconference. I would meet with the training specialists who were representatives. I would attend district meetings and I would participate in one-on-ones with whomever wanted to have one at whatever role they were in within my organization. A true open door policy that I lived. And I think that's what probably contributed to some of that feedback and uh, the quotes that I've read that have been shared publicly about how you were able to move a, a you know, a team of over 500 employees, as I mentioned, uh, so quickly due to those relationships. And, uh, you know, I really did not exaggerate, but Larry, you know, we didn't meet that often when we were working at AstraZeneca, but uh, every, you know, I probably, every single interaction I had with you, you were celebrating either some win or some performance or, you know, and, and just, I was observing, I remember observing how you were making those interactions count with every single person that, you know, in different functions that you just mentioned. I know you've led many of your sales teams to tremendous successes, President's Club Awards, 
a wide range of different accolades. How did you go about ranking technical performance versus behaviors in providing feedback that ultimately stimulated competition without compromising collaboration and you know inspiring accountability, like you said? Well, well, first let's start with that that question. So, how did I create a performance-based culture mm-hmm. without having what some might describe as a cutthroat culture? Because right. if one person's in first, that means one person's in first and the rest of the group isn't. Yeah. But I think you you're able to do that when you have that trusting, meaningful, open, and transparent environment, not just with me in my direct reports, but you encourage it with them and you encourage it to with one another. And I think that was extremely helpful in creating that environment so that if somebody were in first for a particular month or a particular quarter or even for the year, right. the other members of the team would reach out and they would congratulate the person. And that made a meaningful difference. You know, when you look at somebody's, I guess, body of work, for, for lack of a better expression. I mean, results are, are always going to be important. I mean, there's no question about that. But let's say we're talking about a leader. What are some of the other things that are really, really important? So when I think of a leader, I think of someone that can coach. The day-to-day coaching that, that happens when you're in the field, coaching the selling skills, the clinical acumen, et cetera. I also think about someone who can develop. You know, how do you develop someone? Are you promoting people? Are you retaining the people that you want to retain in your organization? And then, of course, there's the inspire piece. You know, what type of culture are you creating? Are people engaged? Are they inspired? Will they go that extra mile? Um, what is that culture? So it's not just the results for a manager or leader. It's those other components. And when I look at a sales representative, There are many components of evaluating a sales representative. Again, results are important. Let's make no mistake about that. But in terms of the results are an outcome. So how you get the results as a sales representative depends upon your clinical acumen and how developed is that. Depends upon selling skills, uh, opening a call, developing a need, selling to the need, closing. And really, the the third piece is the ability to build relationships. And is that occurring both within the organization, but also with your your customers? And of course, with sales representatives, leadership is also an important component and helping others along, not just defining winning as winning in your own territory, but more broadly than that. So I I hope that answers that question. Yeah, absolutely. You're... Uh, you're making a distinction between we uh, versus we versus they, right? It's all, you know, thinking globally about that collaborative we, right? And in, in sales, uh, one of our colleagues, Dave Giles, um, he once uh, shared with me on this podcast uh, his definition of sales, that sales is a transfer of emotion to the same extent as it is a transfer of information or persuasion. Oh, I think there's... There's no doubt about it. Sales is absolutely about connecting emotionally with a customer. It's about bringing a solution to a customer. 
there was an old sales adage, right? Sell the problem you solve, not the product. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, that actually makes perfect sense because people generally make changes and, and buy different products because not necessarily because the other product is better, but they start to have dissatisfactions with what they currently have. So they go from really untroubled to troubled, and then they want to make a change. Getting the attention uh, from employees has never been as difficult as it is today, I think. Uh, I've seen a lot of data on the low engagement scores uh, that seems to improve during the pandemic, but now some of the more recent management literature that I've seen uh, seem to demonstrate that that engagement is, a, is, is different among between employees who are on the front lines versus executives. Um, and those frontline employees are usually the ones that, are, that have those lowest uh, engagement scores. And what are some of the specific approaches that you have in inspiring uh, these new uh, impatient, highly skilled, ambitious uh, employees who are entering the workforce today uh, to stimulate them to be engaged, to go all out and to perform at a high level? Well, I think the first thing, Tim, and it's really foundational and it's, it's trust, it's authenticity. And as I said earlier, it's, it's consistency. I, I think that's really important. I also described the frequency in which I would be in front of people we went out of our way um, to, to really emphasize and focus on culture and an inspired culture. We had culture champions that existed among each region. There was an employee survey that was taken twice a year. Mm-hmm. And we took the results very, very seriously. When I say we, I mean my leadership team and I took the results very seriously. We would dissect those results and find out where we had strengths and where we had opportunities. And I think one of the things when you think of an engaged culture, an engaged employee, because it's really a group of employees that ultimately create the culture, one of the terms that becomes really important, of course, is inclusion and diversity. There's no question about that because that is a competitive business advantage. But also having a, um, excuse me, having a speak up culture. And what does a speak up culture really mean? A speak up culture means that employees at all levels are not only not afraid to speak up, they're encouraged to speak up. And they're encouraged to speak up in a way where they're candid, where they're transparent, and they share what's on their mind in an appropriate way. And really what we learned was that relating to a speak up culture, there's often two reasons why employees won't speak up. The first, of course, is they're concerned about some sort of reprisal against them, some sort of consequence if they speak up and their opinion is different than that of of leadership. But the other one that's just as prevalent is oftentimes they don't speak up because they feel if they do, nothing's going to change anyways. So what I started to do and make a general practice out of, a consistent practice out of, was I would listen 
to the teams that I was talking to, the groups that I was talking to, or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If it was something that I was not aligned with, for example, I would at least give them the why. This is why we can't implement or execute your idea. But if I was aligned to it, I made a commitment right then and there. I will pursue this change. I agree with you. I'm aligned to it. And I will share with you the outcome. If it's positive, great. But if it's not, I'll let you know why we're not going to make that change. Even if I agree with it, there was a lot of other powers that be that certainly had a, had a vote. So when I would come back to the same group, say there was a change, there was a suggestion made, and we decided not to do it, I would say, well, I appreciate the suggestion. It, I did bring it forward. We're not going to do it. And here's why. And that why was just so powerful and, and just meant so much that that follow-up actually occurred that it made a significant difference. Yeah. Yeah, the why. You know, like explaining why you apologize and or why you're acknowledging someone. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I keep mentioning that I remember you smiling and it's very true because I think you're one of the most positive, dynamic, uh, energetic uh, individuals who create momentum despite uh, the challenges and, and adversity. Do you feel that it was really that transparency, the relationships that you had formed and that's in that sequence of success that you prioritized early on that helped you to overcome any barriers you had that you may have alluded to now? I felt that that leadership is a great privilege. I really do. And I, I not only felt, I still feel a tremendous responsibility to those on my team, whether that team is five people, 50 people, or 500 people. Mm -hmm. yep. The belief system is the same. And when you lead, you have the opportunity to make a difference in, in people's lives. And that was really, really important to me uh, in my last role and beyond. Yeah. That's what leadership to me is truly about. And people can feel when there's care and concern for them beyond what they can do for the organization, but who they are as people. And that taps into the discretionary effort that people are willing to give to their roles, to their jobs, and in this case, to their customers, and ultimately to the patients we serve with great medications. That, that reputation that you had that I remember in my first role was so strong and it was so consistent that I think it was that, that function of the words that you just used, the responsibility, and that probably stemmed from the legacy that leaders either choose to subscribe to or you know, to emphasize or, or not to. And the successful leaders such as yourself, I think, think about that legacy that they have, that they leave on other people you know, and the responsibility they have. So going back to your, the sequence, right? I think leadership is a sequence as well as somewhat of a cycle, right? That, you know, that begins with that leadership foundation, the person that you are, the intentions that you have, the messages that you convey that have to be consistent with who you are. And then uh, that leadership recognition or that delivery 
and the following that you ultimately have uh, obtained, right? But for some people that takes months and years, others it takes decades, right? There are recognized leaders who don't have that foundation or lose it somewhere along the way. Uh, and, and so uh, my question is, how do you really inspire yourself to continue along that leadership path and leadership that journey when recognition, that leadership recognition alone is so tempting now, nowadays? Yeah, you know, Tim, I, you, you mentioned something earlier that is also really important. And you mentioned legacy. And when I think of the great leaders that I had in my life, and, and there was a time at my former organization where I hit a career milestone. And I thought back and I said, who are the five most meaningful leaders? Who are they? And I think four out of the five were, some had retired, some were other organizations, but I made it the point to reach out to them. So when you ask like, what keeps me going? What inspires me? It's the people. It's the people. My, my inspiration, and this is not meant to be any disrespect to anyone that was senior to me um, within the organization, but it came from my team. It came from the fact that I felt that they were counting on me the same way I was counting on them. And, and one of my mantras that I learned early in my leadership career, and I would say this at the time to a district of eight people, and I could mention all eight names right now when it goes back several years. I'm sure. <laughs> but I would say, without you, there is no me. And as a leader, that's true. And I once heard this, I don't know if it's a cliche or meant to be, be a joke, but there are leaders that think they're, they're leading, but they're out taking a walk and they're by themselves, right? Yep. I never wanted to be thought of ever right. as, as that person. Yeah. You wanted to belong and in return, everyone that was associated with you, that was a part of your team or collaborated with you also felt like they belonged or that you were approachable. And yeah, thank you very much for, for uh, making those distinctions, those, those the nuances that I think uh, allow us to feel that fulfillment and the purpose of what we do. What is the most common reason that people have expressed gratitude to you over time, uh, Larry? Or, or I can rephrase that question to ask you, what's your favorite compliment that you've gotten? My favorite compliment was that, or it still is, that I got better because of working with you how much I enjoyed working with you, or in some cases people will say, and it's very humbling, you're the best leader I've ever had. Yep. And that means a lot to me. You know, we probably brought up relationships, I don't know, 20 times or more in this conversation, <laughs> Kim. Yes. But you can tell they're genuine when you, know, you leave an organization and you still hear from people almost with the same consistency that have nothing to necessarily gain from a professional standpoint 
-hmm. It's not transactional in any way. It's, hey, I was thinking of you. I'm in this situation. What would you do? What's your advice? And to me, that's, that's gold, right? That's, yeah. that's currency. That means a lot. And that connection and that network, as far as I'm concerned, will be, the, be there for the rest of our lives. I wouldn't care if someone called me 20 years from now. Yeah. I'm there to help. What is the next project, and I'm sure you have one, <laughs> in which you're stretching yourself now and uh, lifting others? Yeah, well, thank you, Tim. And, and, you know, I think as we've mentioned, but I really didn't say it formally. So I have left AstraZeneca. Um, amazing people, amazing products, and a great career journey. But just recently left the organization. And I am pursuing the next thing and writing a new chapter uh, in leadership. So I'm really looking for that right opportunity for me. But in the meantime, what I've been doing, LinkedIn has been a platform of mine. Um, I'm doing podcasts like, like this one. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Sure. I had the chance to provide a guest lecture to students at the Villanova School of Business. Mm -hmm. I've written two articles. The next one will be out uh, in May in uh, Life Science Trainers and Educators Network online magazine. So I'll be sure to bring that to everyone's attention. Um, just anything, a lot of mentoring as well. And I've been doing some consulting as well to bring the many, many years of leadership and commercial capabilities to others. Because I love to teach I love to coach, I love to lead, and I love to mentor. And it still affords me that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate to have crossed paths uh, in life and in my career, those six years that I spent at AstraZeneca that I continue to also uh, reference. And uh, I wish you lots of luck, Larry, in your next chapter. I know that you'll be a tremendous and exceptional and a unique addition uh, to the next team, to the next mentee or project uh, in, in whatever form and shape it takes, where can those who listen to this episode contact you? Uh, LinkedIn, I assume, but maybe can you provide some details, Larry? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Larry Friedman on, on LinkedIn and there's contact information there. Um, my email is, is right there in the contact information. I certainly check the messenger on LinkedIn all the time. So again, I'm, I'm actively uh, networking. So I'm paying attention. If someone tries to get in touch with me, they most assuredly will hear from me. And, and Tim, that's just another thing I just wanted to mention. And this is a shout out um, sure. about the importance of networking. I'm so grateful over the years to have built such an outstanding network of outstanding leaders and people who uh, are willing to help and share advice. And I can promise to anyone that's listening that I will pay that forward tenfold. Thank so, yeah. Thank you very much, Larry. Uh, what a great way to uh, finish and wrap up this conversation. And uh, also I'm, I'm grateful that this podcast has allowed us to reflect, to hear from one of the best 
strongest leaders that I know, my friends at All Out Coach, make sure to contact Larry, Larry Friedman with two E's. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about your work, Larry. And thank you for inspiring us all. Tim, thank you. And I wish you uh, the best the best of luck with your podcast and beyond. I'm confident that you're going to be successful. And again, I appreciate the opportunity sincerely. Thank you. Thank you.